0: Oh, sweet. I just said a bunch of shit and I wasn't even recording. Welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. This is your host, Jay Finning. If this is your first time listening to the show, please subscribe. Understand, though, this is not a sports podcast, although I am covering ESPN's The Last Dance documentary, which covers the 1997 and 1998 Chicago Bulls. I love sports. I love sports a lot. So subscribe anyway. If you're watching this on YouTube... Hit the subscribe button. Get some show swag. Go to Teespring. Look up Hard Parking Podcast. There's a link in the description of the podcast. There's a link in the description of the YouTube. Coming up, 5 of 5 bonus edition, Last Dance. Welcome back to the podcast. So, this is bonus episode 5 of 5 of The Last Dance. So, we're joined by JR. JR's in Grand Rapids. He and I go back years, years, years. Brian's back for his fifth week in a row, and and Ben is back after taking a week off for not paying attention. (laughs) So one of the things I want to go over is from the previous show, episodes seven and eight, because we've heard a lot about Michael Jordan being a bully, and one of the things that's bothered me all week, and I don't know how people keep missing this, I get the Scotty Burrell stuff to a certain extent, but they say, look at Jordan, he picks on everybody except for... You know, the big guys on the team, he doesn't pick on. Scotty doesn't pick on. Dennis Doesn't didn't pick on, you know, any of those guys from back in the day. You know, he likes to pick on the smallest guy on the team. But then I never saw anywhere where actually picked on Steve Kerr. They were having a hard practice. Phil Jackson was calling ticky-tack fouls. Jordan got extremely frustrated. He fouled the shit out of Kerr, which probably wasn't necessary. And then Kerr in retaliation said, I'm not going to sit back and take that. He punches Jordan first. Jordan punches him in the eye. So that thing was just a practice scuffle that has absolutely nothing to do with bullying. So that's just one of the things that's been bothering me all week. It's just nobody's coming out and saying that. And to me, it's like front and center. That absolutely has nothing to do with bullying. So that's one of the things that I wanted to to get out of the way um, before we move on to this week. So episode nine starts early 90s, MJ versus Reggie Miller. And we've seen this fight clip. God some of us has probably seen it hundreds and actually everybody on this call has probably seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. It's in every highlight, every clip that you see of Jordan going through the playoffs In seeing that, you know, what did, what did you guys think about them going back to the first time that they met and then fast forwarding to the 1998 playoffs and especially kind of highlighting Reggie Miller? Like what are your guys thoughts? We'll start with Brian.
1: Reggie Miller was always one of my favorite guys to watch back then, probably in my lifetime. And during my childhood, it was he was probably the best three point shooter that I had ever seen at a young age. And you could see that when he came into the league and it was just like contrasting, you know, in his younger years and then going back to the 98 Eastern conference finals, it just showed you that he always was up for the challenge. And that just was kind of a constant because Jordan had those Eastern conference foes all those years, you know, so it just showed what a great matchup those two, those two teams had had over the years.
0: Ben, what do you got? Well, Growing up as
2: a Pistons fan, I always hated Reggie Miller. I hated the Pacers. They never beat the Pistons, and I'll never let them forget that. I even hated their uniforms. I hated everyone on that team. I hate Rick Smith. He should not be allowed to block Michael Jordan's shot. Did you see that clip? I can't believe they showed that clip. It, it showed like Reggie's competitive nature. Like He had total confidence. He was an assassin. You had to respect that. He was the same as everybody else that they interviewed that played Jordan. Everybody thought that they were good enough. Everybody thought we can do it. And Jordan just found motivation in anything. He he would find any type of motive from one winning the MVP. I know I'm getting off topic here, but
0: um, well, not Reg- yet. But you're starting to scope creep a little. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but Re- Reggie was just another victim. That's the way I look at it.
0: What you got, Jr.
3: Reggie Miller is just he's a clutch dude. I always said, like, if I wasn't a Bulls fan, I probably would be a Pacers fan because of Reggie Miller. Um, he's just so clutch, one of those guys that just gets hot. The more he makes, the, the more confident he is, and he just gets going. Ever since that that one series from the Knicks, was it, like, how many seconds where he's talking, doing the choke to Spike Lee? I love that.
0: Yeah, what was that? Wasn't that, like, 12 points in 15 seconds or something crazy like that? <laughs>
3: something like that. Something Something crazy. One of the most craziest sequences ever, and I just I have a lot of respect for Reggie Miller. Uh, it's just unfortunate for him to be in the against our beloved Chicago Bulls.
0: I don't remember disliking Reggie Miller that much, but being a diehard Bulls fan, I think that he wasn't my favorite. But I know that those that Pacers teams was fantastic. One of the things I really loved about them kind of going back to the beginning, then fast forwarding, as you saw that at some point during those five years or so. There was a lot of respect there between those guys. And one thing I think I've learned about Jordan in this documentary is when you're on the practice court, when it's game time, you get Michael Jordan A. Outside of that, you get Michael Jordan B. And I thought it was really cool to see Reggie Miller and Michael dressed to the nines and Reggie walks by, and hey, good game, good game, man. Hey, it's going to be a fight you know, after game two. And one thing about Reggie is he's as good of a shooter, pure shooter, as they've ever seen in the NBA. And in his heyday, once he gets streaky, I mean, he's, like I said, he's Clay Thompson. You know, he's he's Steph Curry. I mean, the league's <laughs> been loaded with assassins, but I think what made Reggie Miller different is that he was more than just a three-point shooter. He was a leader of that very, very, very stacked team. And I think we got to give that that team a lot of credit because they went down that roster. You know, you got Mark Jackson, Jalen Rose, Rick Smiths, the Davis brothers, they were blocking everything. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was a fantastic team, coached by Larry Bird. Um, one of the things that, Kept standing out for me during this whole documentary, and we saw it here. Is man back in the day, those guys used to dress to the nines. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, those those suits would be pressed. You know, there was a story, and I don't remember was it in this documentary. I remember it was on a podcast I watched, um, where Jordan was getting dressed before the game, and he put on his cufflinks and he did all his stuff because he was at the hotel. Tim Grover, someone was talking about, it, and they said that they had asked him, you know, Jordan, why are you getting all dressed up? Because the stadium was literally across the street, and Jordan's response was, "This may be the first time somebody over there ever gets to see me, so I want to show them that I'm at my best at all times." You know, I think that kind of speaks to some of the stuff that we've learned about him, and in that, and that attitude. Talking about dressing, though, what do you guys think? Comparing then how everyone used to dress for, like, they're going to a business meeting. Like, I, I love that. I love it. When they, now they get. Yeah, now they come in and they're just sweatpantsed out. I mean, it's a thing. It's just coming in comfortable. You don't have to, you know, you can just switch, switch clothes. Or you're dressed like, like Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? Russell's
3: ridiculous, man. I mean, I know he's
0: trying to
2: make the fashion statement, but some of you it's know, just, it, it, it's I might there. say, you actually bring up a really good Thank point because Jordan was always dressed so well, but he also, the Jordan brand has been the big, Trend in this athleisure trend, where people are just casual everywhere they go now. You know, people—if you wear a suit, they don't wear the tie, and you wear sneakers with the suit now. And that's even if you wear a coat. Like casual is casual is the new dress up.
1: Yeah, my take on it is that um, you know it was all business for that generation of players. Um, if you look at the line of Jordans too, if you think about it, a lot of his shoes look like they were modeled after dress shoes. Like you've got the patent leather on the Jordan Elevens. Um, and then a couple of years after that, they actually had the spats that went on top of the uh, top of the shoe on top. Of the oh
0: place. yeah. I had those. those yeah, I forgot about those.
1: Yeah. And yeah, so continue yeah, to forget about those. Yeah. They weren't the best looking ones. Right. But I think that it was a lot of input that came from Jordan. I would imagine that said, Hey, make these look like they're, they're business-like, but also make it functional so that, you know, players who wear them, you know, will, uh, will feel comfortable and will feel like they can perform. But I think it all had to do with his image and um, just being all about business.
0: So we'll let JR lead on this next one. Brian and brought this up in a past episode about Steve Kerr. And one thing I said about you earlier on another call, Brian, is being here in Arizona, I know you're not from here, but you do your homework on everybody who's Filipino or <laughs> in Arizona or Seattle right. or just baseball in general. Right. And so you right. know these things that – you know, it wasn't necessarily common knowledge, but maybe back then it was, you know, the Steve Kerr story. I mean, what what did you guys think about that? Did you love it? Did you, did you feel like maybe it didn't belong in the, in the, in the docu-series? Um, Jared, like, what are your thoughts about Steve Kerr and his story? I,
3: I like that background on Steve Kerr. I never knew that story. I liked how it, if you think about it, both Steve and Michael's father were both shot to death. So. It was like there's that relation there. So I was fine with that little touch on the background of Steve.
2: I was hoping for more of that with other players. I didn't really know anything about it at all. Uh, and then when you see what happened, it's just it's just ultra sad. Really the only thing you can say, it's just an ultra, ultra sad story. But you can see how cerebral Steve Kerr is. You know, you can tell by the way he grew up. His dad as a diplomat or whatever he was. Government official. His mom was a professor, I believe, uh or no, his his dad was whatever it was. He grew up, you know,
0: he was like a president of the the, yeah. the
2: college and like leading. And you the can role. see why a guy, you know, yeah. as far as he is, remember him? He, he was talking about how he was watching John Paxton because he played against Paxton and the Bulls and Jordan when he played on Cleveland, and he knew the team well. So when he got on the team, he was like, "I'm going to be that down Paxton." <laughs> You know, and he already knew. And you can see why now he's such a great coach. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA now. And there's no discussion. Um, It's a really good, it's really good insight into his intellect.
0: Yeah. Brian?
1: Yeah, I love seeing the piece on him. Um, And I, I too wish that he, we had a little bit more background about him. Um, So I'm glad they touched on it um, in these uh, last couple episodes. But in Arizona, Steve Kerr is kind of a quietly beloved figure and going to school um, down in Tucson at that one other school. See, I went to ASU, so, you know, that one other school. It's whatever. the other school
0: for you. I mean. <laughs> the
1: other school down south. But, um, yeah, his his numbers in the rafters. Well, first, I didn't know he was drafted by the Phoenix Suns. He was either he was drafted or he got his, you know, an undrafted uh, free agent signing or whatever. They, they covered it yesterday. Um, so I didn't know that piece. Um, but a lot of people forget that after his playing days, he was actually the GM of the Suns for a little while. And so he was here during the time of the uh, the, Steve, the Steve Nash and Mar Stoudemire. Uh, I, I, I believe Marion he was the
2: Johnson GM was that so got Shaq onto the Suns, wasn't he?
1: I think so, yeah, yeah, when he traded Sean Marion and Marcus Banks over to Miami. Yeah, the Shaq. The
2: Shaq-tus.
1: Uh, yeah, Shaqtus. Yeah, the Shaq. The, the big Sunset. Um, <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> right. No. Um, What's funny is, though, is that that just kind of a side story, like, I personally was so excited that Shaq was here, that I actually have a Phoenix Sun Shaquille O'Neal jersey. Um, so I've got that hanging in the uh, in the closet. But it was it was great to see that piece on Steve Kerr, though, because, like I said, he's, he is a beloved figure here in Arizona. And of course, you see the success that he has now, you know, with the Golden State Warriors. So it's really nice to see a little bit more inside information about him because you can tell that he's not somebody who talks about himself. He's always about the players that, you know, he coaches and around and always is about his teammates.
0: Yeah, for me, I, I love that, you know, and I was looking forward to it. And, you know, Brian, as soon as they brought it up, I texted you. I was like, yes, yeah. there's your curve story. There's your curve yeah. story. I loved it. it I like mean. Episode, he's such a high yeah. IQ guy. You knew he was great. Um, and I he's played a pivotal role as a as a spot shooter, as a be ready air quotes guy for this team. And as soon as they showed that, they backed to nineteen ninety eight in the playoffs. And once they I mean, poor Scotty Pippen, you know, once they show him going to the line two for five and finishes two for seven, you know, and then they start showing, you know, Kerr highlights off that tip to <laughs> what, from Rick Smiths to to Pippen to to Kerr. Yeah. You know, at the, that pivotal shot. It was amazing. And then, and then him telling the story of Jordan telling him to be ready and how like a little kid he was about it. He said, like, yeah, yeah, hey, I'll be open. I'll be open, you know. What I was, he,
1: that was his, um, his speech at the victory parade? When oh, he was yeah. Playing, you know, the, uh, the crowd. Yeah, his side of the story, which was hilarious.
0: <laughs> I heard that before, and I don't remember where it was where I heard that, but the I have heard that before. Video. Which one?
3: It was on the championship video.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 But, um, unstoppable, Un- but untouchables. Yeah. Untouchables. Yeah. Untouchables. Um, yeah, I thought that was amazing and I'm glad they did it. So the pizza, <laughs> does it all make sense to anybody? Did you do your research after? I mean, I watched, um, SVP. I watched Jalen and Jacoby interview the director. Some of the questions that I had started to fall in place. Some of the answers were starting to make a little bit more sense. First person to shake their head no is Ben. so. Um, ben, why don't you start us off? Like, what are so your thoughts he, of the he pizza game?
2: Talk about it. Like, they didn't know that he was going to order the pizza. He, he was saying they were calling every place in town. Like Salt Lake City is a dead town, prize. Right? and you can't get any late night food. And so it just falls upon this pizza place. Holy shit, we got Michael Jordan's pizza order. What do we do? You know. And so they do it, and then five people deliver it, or do they just instantly decide right there we're going to poison this pizza? You
0: know, like, I just, like... <laughs> How did they know that- hold on, JR. hold on, hold I mean, on, hold on.
2: I I, I don't believe... There's got to be something else to the story that we're missing, because I, I can't connect the dots there.
0: There is <laughs> stuff that you were missing. Okay, go ahead, J.R.
2: How did they know it was Michael Jordan, for
3: Michael Jordan, though?
0: Is that your <laughs> contribution?
3: <laughs> no, no, I'm just asking, like... For- <laughs> That's a valid question, I missed- man. <laughs> I'm missed- just... My contribution is that I don't not I'm not sold that they right. that it was poisoned.
0: Yeah. I'm not sold. And do you think? What do you think it was? The whole flu game. I mean, was it the pizza still? Like, or was it Hangover? Or I think it was the pizza, but I don't think someone intentionally
3: was like, yeah, he, we're gonna take him out for this game. We're gonna win. No, I, I, I'm not buying that. There may have been some bad sausage on there. I don't know whatever he eats yeah not buying it.
0: brian what do you got
1: yeah um so i think it was funny though just everybody's thinking that he had the flu and then all of a sudden the his story is pizza i just laughed at that when i watched it last night um but uh, jay you and i texted about it this morning and so i listened to the jail and jacoby podcast and the full story is pretty funny you know but it makes sense i do buy into the fact that yes it was the pizza that caused the uh the sickness the next day, since You know, their story is, is that I guess everybody else had gone out to dinner already earlier that night. MJ had a later night. He didn't get to order any food before everything closed up. And so when everybody was in his room, he was like, just somebody order me a pizza. And then when it comes, I guess the story is is that he didn't want anybody else to have any. So he spat on the whole pizza so that nobody would have none and he (laughs) ate the whole thing. I, I, I don't I don't think that somebody like poisoned it or spiked it. I don't I don't think so. I just think that he either over ate or there was some something bad in the pizza. And so I, I do believe the fact that something was bothering him the next day during the flu game because you know you've never seen Michael Jordan like doubled over or you even show that he's sick or just not well during a game. So why would he start then? And I don't buy the fact that it would have been a uh, A hangover either because why would michael jordan go out and party and get crazy stupid drunk and then show up to you know the next game that's something that dennis rodman would do but still grab like 15 boards but i think it was just bad pizza
0: yeah Yeah, um with that story a lot of it made sense because everybody's like what like i think universally everyone screamed out pizza when they announced it, because for 20-something years, or is it 30? I don't even know the math. What's the math? For a long time, for a long time, we're thinking it's a flu game. You know, I dug out my flu game Jordans, and it's <laughs> now it's the pizza game. But like you were saying, JR, um, so the director kind of explained the setup, and, yeah, Ben, things were missing. His explanation was their hotel was way outside of Salt Lake City. So everything was shut down early. I don't know if you've ever been to Salt Lake. It's a very conservative place. Uh, But downtown, they still have some stuff going on. But outside of downtown, it's like being outside of Phoenix. being outside of Tucson. It's like being outside of Grand Rapids. There There was a a missed
2: uh, marketing opportunity by Little Caesars because even though he ate bad pizza, got food poisoning, he was still hot and ready.
0: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But here's the deal, though, is – Michael was mad because the guys ate without him. And that's why he ordered the pizza. And, of course, stories he spat on it. So how do you explain five guys showing up to the door? Well, the explanation makes sense, too, um, that the bellhop, like everybody knows where teams stay, like the hotels. Like I remember when we would go to the Mavericks games when the other teams were coming to town, the Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, everybody stayed at the Anatole Hotel. And so you know if you wait for the bus after the game, you follow the bus to the hotel, there's always people there. In this case, they're out in the middle of nowhere, but I'm pretty sure like the guy or girl up front were probably like, hey, the Bulls are staying here. You know, I don't think they knew it was Michael Jordan, but I think they called their buddies and their buddies all showed up because they, you know, the story is they were looking in the room trying to get a glimpse to see who was in there. So they didn't know it was Michael. That's my assumption based on what I heard. And I think it was just random. Like sometimes on, you can just have on, bad man. pizza. Like I've had bad pizza before. I used, to, I used to order Domino's all the time. And one day I had it to get those little upper deck baseball cards. Remember those? I used to order those all the time. And I got sick and just threw up all over the place. You know, you kind of know a bite or two into your food. Either if it just doesn't taste right, but you keep eating it anyway because it's not spoiled. We already and know that
2: black people are lactose intolerant. You can't eat a whole cheese pizza. They're going to
1: get sick. <laughs> hey, hey, Asian people, man but i'll sit and eat a whole pizza
0: anyway i don't give a shit yeah and that's and and the story of him spitting on the food that's kind of one of those things i heard on another podcast about him being in a production trailer i think for space jam or something too and they would bring him cinnamon rolls every morning and he in order to stop people from eating he would spit on the cinnamon rolls like (laughs) nobody take my shit so i mean it's a nasty habit it's disgusting it's like what the hell but if he's the one eating it I mean, it's gross, but that's not the first time I've heard that story, which makes it more believable this time around. In five minutes or less, so taking the last shot, this came up on another one of my calls by the the pro LeBron guys. One of the things they say is Jordan gets credit for making the right play when he passes to somebody who's wide open, but LeBron gets criticized for passing the ball at crunch time. And I think if you think about it, at first you're like, yeah, that's right. That's not fair. But if you really think about it, I think there's a big – major difference you guys think you can answer that in five minutes or less jr
3: with lebron i don't know man i'm so anti-lebron i'm just so biased <laughs> with jordan i know i'm gonna just talk shit about him
0: but <laughs> why, why 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 are you anti-lebron it's
3: for it stems from the whole decision I was I was at a sports bar waiting for him to say he's going to Chicago and he said I'm taking my town to South Beach and I walked right out that thing man my full bulls thing the girls day at a time and I said let's go cashed out and didn't even want to listen to as soon as it left his mouth taking my town to South Beach I was gone he's just, <laughs> I'm sorry I don't want to started. I'm a hater I'm a hater that's all that's all right hey Ben <laughs> I mean, if, I mean I respect he's one of the greatest basketball players, Sure. but he's not
2: the GOAT.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to turn this to a LeBron-Michael debate, but uh, Brian, three minutes and 53 seconds before we have to transition to the call. Yeah.
1: I can see the angle being this, is that like Michael makes the right play when he passes it off because he knows he's going to draw the double or the triple team and so kicks it out to one of his shooters, right? And you also know that he has the supreme confidence to take that shot, win or lose. Um, I don't know if you can really say the same about LeBron because people kind of knocked him on, well, he passes a lot more often than he shoots. Does that mean he's not confident in his final shot? So that's the angle that I'm taking with that is that I think there's an expectation that LeBron should be taking more shots down in crunch time, but he's passing the ball off, so it kind of gives off the impression that he doesn't want the shot. I think that's what he had hanging over him for a very long time.
0: Ben? Ben? You yeah, had, uh, I mean, an opinion people on that? talk
2: about you know LeBron's not clutch or whatever. LeBron can't shoot; he's not a good shooter, so he's going to miss most of his shots anyway. So then the clutch, and he misses a shot, you remember it, and then he or then he passes it to one of his crappy teammates, and they miss it, and he can't win either way. And then everyone's pointing the finger at him. I'm like, look, you suck, everybody, <laughs> you all suck. But that's that's the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, and that's kind of what I, the, the result that I came to is that LeBron's the eye test, right? He's always shied away from being aggressive. I mean, that guy is so big. And one of the things that frustrated me the most as a Miami Heat fan is not just that he couldn't post up J.J. Barea or, or Jason Terry, <laughs> but that every time they'd pass the ball down to him, he'd pass the ball away like immediately, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I always say that he always took – he always did fade away layups. Like, I, that's not even a thing until LeBron started playing. He'll go right to left, and he won't go strong. He'll like kind of, like, fade away and kind of throw the ball up. That's what he did for most of his, you know, career up until, you know, maybe his return to Cleveland and his second or third year in Miami. And I think that's the biggest difference is, like, Brian was saying, and they said it in this show, Jordan never thought about missing a shot that he hadn't taken yet. So he was never afraid to take the shot. And he one thing he had to learn was to give the ball up. When the person you pass the ball to makes the shot, it's always the correct play. Brian, this is gonna be painful for you, but goal line stand super bowl. Yeah. You know, that's a great play if they convert on that quick slant. It's a terrible call if it gets picked off. You know, I mean we always play the result.
1: And it's even more terrible when you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield ready to bust it in
0: yeah and I mean, advanced statistics to show that Marshall that he's been unsuccessful at that all season. So I understand the call. and I think that's the problem that's happening with LeBron is that he misses those shots when he takes them. His people miss them when he passes them sometimes, but then he's never been the guy to kind of go in aggressive and take that shot. And I think I don't think it's a double standard. I think it's one guy has a resume and one guy has yet to prove it. Now you just you are whatever your history says you are. I Let's,
3: think he lacks that killer instinct, man. Well, that's the thing. We'll talk. We'll talk
0: about that. Let's break and then come right back. All right, you know, Jr. So continue your thoughts on LeBron before we move on.
1: Yeah, but he lacks
3: that killer instinct that Michael has, Kobe has, uh, guys like we mentioned, Reggie Miller.
0: So I heard Mark Jackson talking about this, and you know, go ahead, Ben, real quick.
2: I just have a problem with people saying there's a lack of killer instinct. He
0: just can't shoot. He wants to make that shot
2: just like everybody else does. That's the ball. He can't shoot like Reggie Miller. He
0: didn't, want to, he didn't want to make that shot against J.J. Barea. <laughs> No, but I heard I heard Mark Jackson say that, uh, and and this makes a lot of sense. He said, you know, not everybody has that shot. I mean, that killer instinct. There's only been two or three players in modern day NBA history that's like that. He goes, I don't have that. Most most people I play with don't have that. But at the same time, nobody's saying that Mark Jackson was a goat, and he, he had a great you know NBA career. All time um, assist league, right? I
1: think he's number two or number three now.
0: Yeah, oh, I was okay. like, I don't know where he's where he was at with that, but um, I used to hold that against LeBron. I can't really hold it against him or continue to hold it against him because he's become a lot better player, but he's also, his best years statistically were when he was in Miami, so he's slowly on the decline. Um, Next point. So the little trivia blip, Michael and Scotty eliminated the most 60-plus wins in NBA history. My question on that graphic, given all the stuff that Scotty's been kind of put through in recent weeks, to me that's a graphic that would be very easy to change an edit at the last minute. Do you think they may have added Scotty on there? Or do you think he was always part of that little graphic?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I know where you're coming from. So I think you're asking like, did they add Scotty to that graphic just to kind of appease him because how he's kind of been portrayed lately? Oh yeah. And you see like all of the news reports, especially today, I think that people are starting to report that he kind of felt slighted by all of the, uh, you know, the way that he was portrayed during the documentary, but to answer your question, yeah, I don't think so. I think, he was always part of that graphic. When you think about the, the 90s Bulls, it's always, you know, MJ and Pitt. So I, I think he was always part of that graphic.
0: Go ahead, JR. Um,
3: even though he was portrayed, I think it outweighed some of the, the positive things that Michael said about him and that were shown. And that's where people are having a problem with. It's just, it was showing most of the negative negative. I mean, there was some, there's some of the negative stuff on Michael, but it was really, it's a Michael documentary. And so a lot of it's just all him, but there was things that skimmed for, on Mike too. They didn't mention any of the, um, the sweatshop stuff
0: or. But the the sweatshop Nike factory has, I don't think that has anything to do with this.
3: No, but there's a lot of things that didn't have to do with the doc they, I think they, what they could have done to help balance a little bit was bring up that Hugh Holland's column, how they could have, how far they could have went, because and touch more on on that season show, because he led all categories that year when Michael was gone. I think they, I want to say it was all categories for the Bulls. He was the the leader,
0: third runner up for MVP, I think. Won the uh, the All Star Game MVP, but to the context of the question, do you think they added that, or do you think it was already always in there?
3: Um, I it's a possibility that they added it. I I could see that happening.
0: One thing I did learn is they didn't even finish editing episode ten till Thursday. Yes, I heard. So Ben, what do you what do you think on that before we move on?
2: I mean, just in general with with Scotty, it's easier to answer to me because I didn't have negative feelings. Uh, you know about Scotty from this, like you know him refusing to go back in the game. You know he's wrong for all that, but I actually came out of this with more respect for Scotty a- after watching this. Having to deal with a personality like Michael Jordan, knowing that you need to be there when he needs you. I mean, there's no sleeping. I mean, when Mike needs you, he needs you. You know, and he stepped up. So he stepped up the plate, and he was first team all defense, right with Mike. Him and you know him and Rodman, still the best trio ever. I think Scotty has lots to be proud of.
0: I can see both sides of this. I can see it always being there, but at the same time, I could all also see them adding it because of all the stuff. And I guess until lately, like Scotty, I haven't today. I've, I haven't really listened to much about last night. Usually I kind of make the rounds. Um. So one thing that I could say, well, we'll talk about that later about what people think about this. Let's move on to Gus Lett before we go back to basketball. Cause I was really curious about this story. I didn't know much about him. Obviously I know a lot more about him now, but one thing that I, I took away from not just Gus Lett, but Michael Jordan's entourage. So I have an entourage question. Notice his entourage. He so su- he surrounded himself with wise, older experienced in life men. And you don't see people do that anymore. I mean, that was his entourage even before his father passed. Now people's entourage and it would have been the same thing for me is probably my boys and my agent and maybe my accountant would have been my entourage. Like Brian, what do you, th- what do you think about that approach?
1: Yeah. He, uh, he probably had the foresight to not surround uh, himself with people that will leech off of him. You know, you see that so much, you know, now with how many, um, ball players, how many entertainers go broke after earning so many millions of dollars. So, you know, you could attribute it to him making a conscious decision of, surrounding himself with father figures and multiple of them because those um, those security guards that were with him all the time they i don't think they were anywhere near his age range honestly that they were all old enough to be his uncle or his dad um so i think somewhere along the line he just made the decision that he wasn't going to let people you know just cling onto him and drain you know all the things that he's earned over the years and you know, like, it's well documented that him and Amadra Shah are super close. Um, I think him and Damon Wayans also are super close as well. Um, so, you know, part of me maybe thinks that those guys, because they're celebrities, maybe tend to keep their relationship a little bit more private. And so, you know, when it came to who he was going to surround himself with day in and day out, you know, during the season, um, it, was, it was probably somebody who he could trust, you know, as much as he trusted his father.
0: Jared, what do you think with that approach in contrast to what people are doing today?
1: I always say this myself
3: that age ain't nothing but a number. And if you surround yourself with because they're older, I think there's plenty of things that they can relate to. But obviously, in this case, the maturity level kept him in line, kept his head straight. Uh, There was no crazy partying and what not going on so I think it kept him in check it was like you got a friends these close friends but yet they were mature not you don't you're right you don't see that every day you see these crazy entourage just going buck wild
0: it's but like it, I just I just thought about this it's like the CEO like Wayne okay let's let's go fiction here like Wayne Enterprises right so Bruce Wayne takes over and everybody in that boardroom are older people that have been there and worked for his father I just had that thought. It's kind of the same thing. You know, you have the board is all these wise old people that have stake in the company, although obviously they don't have stake in the company, but maybe emotional and mental stake in in Michael Jordan, the company. Hey Ben, what do you got on that?
2: Yeah. So, well, we obviously know how close he was to his dad, what his dad's relationship meant to him. So he's, he saw the value in an older man's wisdom, you know, he grew up with that. And so it's, You know, seeing these guys as as somebody who had been through some things and worked hard and didn't make millions of dollars and just had a real look on life, it probably kept him grounded. He probably felt uh, like this was something that just made him more down to earth, just talking to the security guy that works at the United Center, you know, and just hanging out and throwing quarters against the wall and I'll take your money anyways.
0: So speaking of the security guys, I thought that was pretty cool to see him. I mean, he knew everybody there. He probably knows everybody who works the concessions, giving them all daps, saying hi. And I don't think it matters that the camera was on. I have two questions regarding his entourage. So well, I have one question regarding his entourage, and the but I have something I want to say based on what you said, Jr. You know, R. Kelly said agent. Didn't he say agent number or was that the chick who he? That was a Oh yeah, because wasn't she Aaliyah. a minor? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think she was. She was walking around yeah, with a
0: green light sorry. above her, like, yo, our Kelly age ain't nothing but enough. And then um <laughs> the the big question is with that with his security staff, are those guys stopping anybody? <laughs> those guys aren't stopping anybody. If they if people wanted to get to them, those guys ain't unless they were a bunch of ninjas, like some Shaolin monks. <laughs> the real security
2: the real security was outside the building. You know, you know they had muscle out there. This is just that. The inner stuff to where, like, if anything happens, they're alerted. That type of security.
1: I guess Gus was—he uh, was a Chicago uh, police officer, though, right? Before. He yeah, a,
0: I guess hair. well decorated.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I could see him doing some. But as far as, uh, was that guy's name John Wozniak? You know, this guy.
0: Oh, uh, I, I don't so, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he might, he might be sneaky strong. <laughs> so
1: no, you can't, you can't let the hair fool you. So.
0: Old man strength.
1: Yeah, dad strength, right? I think is what they call that. <laughs>
0: okay guys i got four words for you and once i finish let's start with brian you guys know where this is going not you yet bitch fuck you
1: uh, this is, uh wasn't this uh with larry bird right this was
0: the this was the exchange of larry bird in the hallway after uh <laughs> after the game so brian yeah. what are your thoughts on that
1: i mean, it's just it's it's two guys that battled it out man and uh also had a. Uh, had a bond when they were both on the original dream team um but i also think it's two guys who i guess larry bird was another guy that you can count on that killer instinct list he was uh one guy who um would come around like uh, and say okay who's who's guarding me tonight just kind of like that one time uh against i forget who it was was it the bullets or was it against the kings i think chris yeah, it was it was, the,
0: it was the bullets yeah
1: uh huh. And he was, and MJ was just like with a cigar in hand. Hey, who's checking me tonight? And so there's that famous story of Larry Bird during one of the All Star, you know, NBA three point shootouts. And he's like, "All right, which one of y'all is coming in second tonight?" You know. So it's it's that ultra competitiveness, and it's getting the best of one another, but enjoying the competition. And I think both guys respected each other, and you know, it, there were there was probably just a lot of trash talk back and forth because, uh, you know. Larry Bird was probably one of the best of them when it came to trash talking too.
0: JR, what you got on this?
1: (laughs) When I first heard it, I had to rewind it because I'm like,
3: did Larry say that or did Michael say that? Yeah. I had to play it back and it was Michael. And I was like, wow. And that the thing I got of it was that they're just on that level, that respect levels there, you know, just like with your buddies. It's just like how you just say that. And, There was no—you could see it in Larry's face. There was like no like, oh, like reaction. He wasn't taken back. It was so natural. It was a natural exchange and hug, and then those words came out. It almost didn't fit what was going on, and it was just like just slipped in there. And it was—I had—it was—I thought it was was hilarious. But it just shows you the respect they have and what level that they were at with each other.
0: Like I wouldn't be surprised if Larry was like, speaking of, how's your mom? Because they were obviously on that kind of level. Uh, Ben, what were your thoughts with that? Yeah,
2: because, well, Larry Bird was Michael Jordan of trash talking. So Michael is just giving it right back to him. And he knows that Larry's old and Larry was the competitor that he was. Larry wishes he was on that team playing against him, but he can't. All he can do is coach him. So they, they come and see after the game and they say that because he knows Larry would have said the same thing to him, probably, had he beat him. And then, then he had to just throw it in there. He had to stop and turn around and be like, you got time to work in that golf game now, huh? <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> uh, my thoughts on that are basically the same as all of you guys. Um, it speaks to a level of comfort you know, that they have with each other, and it plays right into the narrative of last week, the big debate that people had with how these guys touch each other in practice. And once you get to a certain level of somebody, then it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You know, and obviously, that's not
2: that's not something that he would say to Isaiah Thomas. You know, Isaiah right. and, him and, would if, not and if
0: there was a press happened. conference about it, he wouldn't say to the press conference. They said, what do you think of Larry Bird? Oh, he's a bitch. You know, he wouldn't say that. But they're obviously <laughs> really good friends in passing. Right. You know, I, I think in this case, the cameras just happened to be rolling and that was a normal exchange. So I think that gives us proof that it's all about context. Let's move on to episode 10 finals. Salt Lake. We're getting close. Like this thing's almost over. And one of the things that I pulled away that I thought was awesome before we get to Dennis Rodman leaving to, to wrestle is the level of respect these players have for each other after the game. Like the stars wait for each other. First you saw Stockton and Malone. As soon as the team goes by, Michael goes by, the, and they're in the hallway now. They're not on the floor. Like, Ben, what are your thoughts on seeing that kind of level of respect between competitors?
2: Yeah, like when Carl Malone just walks on the team bus and walks all the way to the back from Mike is, they just quick, quick that. Hey, good game, good game. And he walks right back out and he just tells everybody else. See you later. See you later. It's just, it's just one of those things. Like you got me, but it, nothing needs to be said. We just played six games. It's just one of those things to where it's, I'll try to get you next time. This is what we do. This is, we make a career out of this. And this is what it's come to.
0: I wonder if it's a bond that they kind of all created when they're on the dream team. Yeah. Right. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think number one, it's game recognized game. So I I don't think that you have to be all time legends to be able to recognize another player, no matter where he sits on the bench. But I think especially though, if you got a few all time greats that played in the same generation, then of course they're going to recognize one another, and it doesn't hurt that their time on the dream team really, you know, made that bond with one another really close. But yeah, I think that's you know, it's just one of those things where you just they just recognize you know how. Great of a talent that that they're surrounded by, and so they just you know you can't do anything but show respect after a hard fought uh, series like that. So um, yeah,
0: just,
2: went right to the Peterbilt dealership afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> right, right.
0: What was going through your mind when you saw that, Jr.?
3: I like that when they when you honestly see respect between players like that.
1: There was one other play last night, if I may bring this up, too, and it had to do in that same final series. But that was the one where Dennis Rodman and Karl Malone just kind of got tangled up and they (laughs) were rolling down one half of the court. And I always thought that, you know, that it was just like bad blood. They were ready to throw blows, but they weren't. Like, they both got up and they, like, high-fived each other and gave them a pass on the side, side and that was it. I always thought it was bad blood, but it wasn't.
0: It was, no, it was just wrestling moves. It was just wrestling. Yeah, were just wrestling, yeah. He yeah, I mean, Carl Malone, like, threw a shoulder and elbow. He just missed when he was <laughs> yeah. getting up. Like, he lunged at him. I was like, oh, my God. Well, since you brought that up, let's talk about Dennis Rodman, you know, leaving, doing the NWO thing, and then coming back. I mean, what a circus. What do you guys think of the whole Dennis Rodman? Because at this point, Phil Jackson shows that it's not a big deal, but he's he's got to be getting tired of this. I forgot about that part, or the whole wrestling thing. I mean, what were your thoughts when you saw that, Jr.?
3: I forgot about it as well, but again, because Dennis is a different character, as long as you perform, and that's the thing. He just when he's on the court, he, you know he's giving his hundred percent. I don't give a fuck what you do if you're wrestling or you're in a movie or whatever. That's all I care about.
0: What were your thoughts through all that, Brian?
1: he always gave his 100%, right? So
0: did he if though? He showed up to
1: practice, well, if he, sh- well, I'll put it this way. If he showed up to practice or, you know, during the game, you can tell he gave hundred um, percent. But the thing is, is that uh, he was just going to do it no matter what. He didn't give a shit what anybody else thought. Um, I think the only thing that was really the biggest pain in the ass was for whatever in the organization it is, is to make sure that Dennis Rodman comes back we know when he took that trip to Vegas, um, who knows if he would have been, you know, brought back. And then now with this, you know, missing a practice to go and, uh, you know, get on a show, you know, do some wrestling. Great. He's back. But you know that there's a chance that he might not have. Um, but when he when he was there for practices and games, he gave it. But you just had to hope that he was there.
0: Does, does Dennis Rodman like basketball? No, that's a serious question because no, some people. No,
1: no, I think he likes it. I don't think he loves basketball. I think he likes it. Yeah, to I play mean, because
0: we know of all sorts of athletes that they hone their skills and they find you know that's their you know means to an end, and yeah. they don't have a love for the game. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know if Dennis Rodman ever really had a love for the game, but he understood what the game could do for him as long as he showed up and played ball. Yeah, it's
3: so funny that. I was that I was talking to my friend about the whole wrestling thing and he's a big wrestling fan and has his own YouTube channel podcast. So he loaned me today the NWO. Nice. I have the I, I'm gonna watch him wrestle against Carl Malone here.
0: <laughs> How about them having to shuffle him out the back door? Yeah. And the media frenzy that ensued. Like once they found out it was him, it might as well have been Michael Jackson sneaking out of the back door cuz they were like the security guy like we got 400 people out there who want to want some Q&A time with Dennis. We don't want any of that. Understand he's the third person on this team too. It's not like he's Michael Jordan. You have Michael Jordan, you have Scotty Pippen, you have Dennis Robin, and then you have everybody else. So I forgot about Scotty, you know, missing most of game 6 with back issues. I'm kind of mixed on this because Scotty has come out, and obviously, he's not happy about how he's been portrayed. And even I had some cringing moments last night like, man, that's not a good look because he seems like he gets beat down once a weekend. But did you guys remember that? His final stat line was eight points, three rebounds, four assists, two steals, one block, and two turnovers. So that's not bad for a role player or a guy with basically a broken back. So he still showed up and played. But JR, do you remember that? I remember
3: them talking about he had some back issues during the game. I didn't know it was like, I can't, I don't remember it being like that bad. Like I didn't remember him going down the tunnel.
0: Multiple Uh, times.
3: Yeah. And uh, the way they portrayed it, I was almost, I don't know if you guys thought this was like, is this like, is this almost like kind of a flashback to like the migraine game? Is this the back game going to be for Scotty? You know, are they gonna? So I think maybe I don't know if he thought about that at all, but he's just like, I'm I'm gonna go out there and give it all, even though I'm I'm hurting.
0: Yeah, because he maybe you're thinking. I think I know where you're going with that. He didn't want to be known for the migraine game. He got shit for that for a long.
3: Yeah, he got shit for it. So maybe he's like, and I I salute him for doing that. Do but think- ultimately, I think he wanted he he wanted
1: to be out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: I had no idea that he had that injury um, going into that game. Um, But now seeing everything and how he, you know, pushed on to come back out onto the floor for as long as he did. I mean, he's got to be commended for that. Um, I mean, I'm somebody who's also had chronic back problems ever since I was 14, 15 years old. And I remember injuring my back for the first time because we were moving to another house. I lifted boxes with my back and not my legs. And then I just remember the doctor telling me, well, that injury is never going away you're always going to have it. And every time I've had that injury throwing my back out, it's you just cannot move. And so what I was watching yesterday was just I was amazed that he was able to be able to run up and down the floor and then you know he got knocked down a few times and to get up. I mean, if you've ever thrown out your back, you know that everything, you know, from, you know, the lower back down your legs is just stiff and painful and you just have no range of motion. Um so a lot of respect to him to gut it out for that final game and then One thing that really impressed me was that one timeout when they had to get the final stop, and he was just telling Mike, you know, one more stop, one more stop. And this is coming from the guy who had to go back and forth in the tunnel um, to get, uh, you know, some treatment on his back to loosen him up. I think with that, with that portrayal, it was kind of a turnaround from all the other portrayals with the migraine game and the, um, you know, the game where he refused to come in. I think it was a nice way to cap it off for him to be able to just go through that injury and, you know, and that was the last game of the sixth championship.
0: Yeah. Knowing all that, he still had four assists, two steals, and one block. Ben?
2: Yeah. And I actually do recall that back injury game pretty well. Um, It it didn't catch me off guard when they, when they said it. Um, Well, I, what I didn't know is how he injured it. It was during the game. He said he came down off a dump and landed wrong and tweaked his back. So. What's interesting about it is that he didn't come into the game with a back injury knowing this is something that just happened on the fly. If you think about not just basketball, any sport, there's all kinds of examples of players playing through injury, right? Like there's the all-time tough games, Brett Favre and everybody can't walk, but he's throwing the game when he touched down pass and all this. But nobody, you don't hear stories of people playing through back injuries because you can't play through a back injury. It, it, It affects everything, upper, lower, bottom. It affects... Your movement at its core, like, really, can you think of a better story of somebody playing through a back injury in a sport? Like, I think it's pretty phenomenal. Like, you could see him running up and on the court. He he was like hunched over. He could barely get up and down
0: the court. Even Jordan said it. Was that enough to validate or exonerate him from all you know the other nine episodes where? Because there was a lot of good for Scotty, but there was some a lot of down points. And I feel like maybe that was an opportunity to be like after all of that, this is what Scotty did for us in, in the pivotal game. But to hear Jordan talk, he's like, Scotty was no good. I had to do all the work, you know, like I, <laughs> yeah. I would have expected him to be like, you know, Scotty had back problems, had been bothering him and we really needed him out there. He's a valuable teammate. So I knew that I had to do everything I could to try to help take some of the pressure off of him. You know, I would have, it would have been nice to have heard something like that <laughs> instead of, you know, Scotty sucks again. <laughs> Have to bail yeah. us out again. <laughs> I was like, oh man, come on, man.
1: Michael did say, and I think it was during the game at the beginning of the second half. If you caught it, he just was uh, talking to Scotty, and he just said, "Man, I need you. You know, you on the floor is better than you not on the floor. Something to that effect." Yeah.
0: Let's do our last break when we come back. Uh, Corey's going to join us, so there'll be five of us, and then we'll wrap this thing up. <laughs> Okay, so we just got done talking about Scotty Game 6 with a bad back. Corey, you want to give your your thoughts on that situation.
4: Well, I guess um for me, I didn't really know that he was as injured as he was. You know, I, I thought it was just like something minor, but he was actually, you know, in pretty bad shape. But I think a lot of people would discredit a lot of things that Scotty Pippen was able to do. I mean, that team, they I was focused on Michael Jordan, but you know, Scotty Pippen was just as important.
0: We guys, guys, we got to think all the way back to the beginning of this documentary. Scotty missed most of the season up until the All Star break, and they weren't very good for a while. And he came back, so they they desperately needed him. With him pulling basically a Willis Reed, do you think that was enough to kind of somewhat vindicate him throughout the whole series, or no?
4: I would say because it, you know, it culminated to them winning the title.
1: Yeah, I I think that it uh made up for some of the. Uh some of the bad moments that they depicted um, earlier in the series and he did it in the biggest game at that point. And it was a closeout game. And, you know, even though he had that, you know, that back injury, he he kept coming out there. He kept coming out there. Um, There's a couple of times he was brought back to the tunnel and he could have just stayed there, but he just kept coming back out.
0: So we finally get to the last shot. Did he, did he actually push Brian Russell or was it momentum?
4: No, he pushed him. <laughs>
1: I disagree with that. And and I watched the uh I watched a lot of the replays of the video because it was it was something that was brought up on a lot of shows. You look at Brian Russell's defensive position, he's already turned his hips to his left and Jordan's right because that's where that's where MJ was dribbling. And then so once he saw him close his hips out, and that's one thing that they teach you when you play organized uh, basketball is you do the zigzag drill. You got a defender and a ball handler zigzagging up and down the court and the defender is supposed to go heel to heel, heel to heel, never cross your feet over. Well, Brian Russell's position had him basically crossing his right foot towards his left. So he was already out of position by the time MJ went and crossed over to his left. That's the biggest reason why I think that it wasn't a push off because he, it it was a straight up crossover. Brian Russell went flying by and he hit the shot.
4: So you don't think that he touched Brian Russell's body at all? I think, over like
1: I think he, I think he touched him, but I don't think it was I don't think it was enough of a touch to be a foul.
0: Ben, what are you, what are your thoughts on what you saw? Well, he, he's he described it
2: perfectly. I mean, he knows basketball that that defensive positioning he had. As soon as you're crossing your heel, you got beat. Your hips are shifting, your shoulders are shifting. Your all your weight is going in that one position. Jordan stops on a dime and he swipes. And what's interesting about that one shot? We've seen it a million times. They showed an angle, like a floor angle, that I swear I've never seen. <laughs> New before. angle. One angle shows that it's basically just a swipe. He barely even taps up. He just like this, like get out of the way, and then he pulls up and hits the shot. Like he did not push off. That's just, that's just, he, he dribbled, he beat Brian Russell to a spot on the floor, rose up and hit the shot. It's
0: legit. JR, do you have any thoughts on that? I think he pushed him, but it wasn't
3: hard because he already had his momentum going that way. It's kind of like when Pippen dunked on Ewing and walked on top of him. <laughs> Pippen's kind of motioning. He didn't, he motioned like he shoved him down, but that dude was already, his momentum was falling down.
0: It's kind of like test. that. You know, you're right on that dunk. That's what it looks like. It looks like he dunked and pushed him, but you're right. Yeah. You could tell. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's you know that is a new angle, and to hear Bob Costas talk about it, I don't remember if he talked about it in the documentary or he talked about it afterwards. Um, but he said it's it's about the same as an usher ushering you to your table or into something where you, you know they have their hand on you, but they're really not doing anything. I always felt like he didn't push him, but in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe that's just me being a diehard Jordan fan because I knew it, it was me being a diehard Jordan fan. But I think last night was proof that yeah, he absolutely put his hand on them and they could have called it, uh, but they didn't. But I don't believe that it actually was. He he did enough to actually do anything and it's just like we said last week, it's the momentum. So Jordan was known for going one way and stopping on a dime and pulling up and shooting. And if you think about the Elo shot, he was dribbling left, stopped on a dime and jumped straight up and Elo went flying by.
1: One, one thing also that I like to watch during games is I like to, I like to see the defenders' um, reaction. During a during a foul or a non call, and so if you watch closely, Brian Russell does not react. He doesn't put his hands up in the air, and he's not complaining. Where it was the call? Which to me is a telltale sign that he didn't believe that it was that it was an offensive foul.
0: Yeah, because you. You, you're right. That's some that's some quality shit right there, Brian. Because usually yeah. you see the the entire yeah. team just go, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and nobody did, and, and nobody. nobody did. So that was it. That was the shot. Twenty minutes left in the episode. Did anybody, was anybody wondering what the hell they're going to talk about for 20 minutes? Well, I,
2: I know what you're saying because um you could tell that there was a lot left that they had to talk about. And so he makes the shot. I don't know what I expected, but I know what I saw was interesting when they talk about, and that's probably your next topic is why the team broke up, right? <laughs> so
1: I'll uh, let maybe.
4: you go from here.
1: I thought that they were going to cover, you know, um, the, the business end of it. That was the end, and um, how did how did the band break up? And I brought it up in a previous episode, where I fully expected them to cover that uh, that material, and and I think they did. And the thing that uh, really surprised me that you know that we talked about before was that even though Jerry Krause made it known at the beginning of the season, I don't care if uh, Phil goes eighty-two and zero, he ain't coming back. That Jerry Reinsdorf actually, if this is true, Jerry Reinsdorf went and spoke to Phil. And ask him if he would if he would come back for another season because he had earned it. So, um, yeah. So I, I expected to see how the band was broken up after you know after hitting the last shot and having that much time left in the uh, in the show.
2: I, I what, one thing that bothers me is it, the doc is very insightful, but how Jordan really never heard anything until now, and they're handing him the iPad. Look at Jerry Reinsdorf say that everybody's salary is expiring and we can't pay everybody we can't pay Steve Kerr and Ron Harper all this money you 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 and Pippen and uh, uh Robin you want to come back in a one year deal Phil Jackson too yeah that's fine but we're not going to have the role players that we would because they're all going to demand higher salaries in the open market so that that made sense to me that it was predetermined before in the ownership's mind at least that this was going to be the last dance like i bought that but it was weird to me when Jordan claim no knowledge of that until they had handed an iPad. And then he hears Jerry Reinsdorf explanation to, about him talking to Phil Jackson about how Phil doesn't want to come back. Cause the team's not going to be any good. It, it, it almost kind of sounds like it was preconceived in Jerry's mind. Like, okay, this is it. This is a business. We had a great legacy, but we're going to start shutting down and we're, I'm going to start forcing my hand here and here and, it kind of looks like this happened. Maybe it didn't really happen that way, but it did because we need to shut down and we need to trade everybody. And like the last graphic, what is it? There are five guys that that left the team. I mean, it's no longer the bulls at that point.
0: So that was the very next topic. So we already heard your opinion on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From what I saw, like, I wasn't quite sure what I was expecting to see. I mean, I've been talking about it for the last four episodes, what I kind of wanted to see. And by the time it was all over, I was disappointed that I didn't see what I wanted to see, but I wasn't disappointed overall. But kind of back up on what Ben was saying, that it appeared to me that Jordan was hearing those things for the very first time. And the look on his face was, it looked like shock. And then it looked like maybe his brain was like trying to trying to process after 25 years or whatever the math is. This whole time I was thinking one thing and maybe I just never knew, or maybe it wasn't that but then he's scrambling to say something like, well, that's not that's not the case because of this, 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 and this. Brian, what are your thoughts on that scene when he's handed the iPad? Because he didn't do a Gary Payton laugh, which I'm, no. there's probably a meme out there where he's doing it already.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that he was generally surprised um, about what he had heard. I, I don't know that he was expecting to hear that Reinsdorf had called up Phil and tried to you know bring him back and see if some of the key players would come back. What was very surprising, though, was that he was also asked to follow a question to see if others would come back, too. And then he, he claimed that if Pippen and Kerr and some of the other guys had gotten a chance to sign a, another one-year deal to come back and try to win, you know, the fourth straight, that he believed that they would. And so that's an interesting take, and that's, you know, one up for, for debate. But um, I think he was genuinely surprised and probably just didn't know that there was a private conversation between Phil and uh, Jerry Reinsdorf.
0: Can you imagine if that if that was true? Um, that he was really hearing it for the first time. I mean, all sorts of shit must be going on in his head because Yeah, absolutely. And he's then, hated you know, Krauss, and he's hated Reinsdorf.
1: Yeah, and, and I think like they they covered it too towards the end, where you know, it was like, well, if you had the chance to go for number seven, would you have gone for number seven? And you know, he was it's almost like he wanted to lace him up right then and there. It's like the what could have been was coming through his mind at that point.
2: One thing that really blew my mind is, you know, sometimes the things that are most obvious are the things you think about the least is when I was watching about them talking about coming back for another, maybe one more, that could have been, if you think about it, that could have been their ninth championship in a row. If you go back through everything and if he had never retired and he had come back for one more year, we could be looking at nine titles in a row in the NBA.
0: As huge of a fan as I am, I I think that things had to happen the way they did for them to get to that point. And I don't think that the more I hear about the Houston Rockets and the research, yeah, they probably could have beaten them, but I don't know if they would have won again. He wouldn't have that hunger and that embarrassment of getting beat by the Orlando magic and everyone talking shit that he just wasn't, wasn't a baller anymore. JR, what are your thoughts? I think it was genuine. He was shocked.
3: And I just think that shows an example of his relationship with Reinsdorf. And if, if they were closer don't you think that Reinsdorf would have offered him some sort of position, um, like part ownership of the Bulls or whatever? He's he he never did, and Michael stated that, and that's why he's in North Carolina. He's with the Hornets now, and I, I just think that's why it's he's a he's a businessman. Um, he used I think he had Kraus and others kind of like do his dirt, but he had a, it's a business. He had it all laid out, the damage was done. I think Michael's reaction to it was genuine. I think what he said about, uh, yeah, if we kept him, you know, they could have won in a couple of years. I don't know about all that.
4: Corey,
0: what were your thoughts?
4: I think Michael genuinely 100% wanted to go for a seventh title. Uh, and I don't think people really understand like his desire to possibly get that seventh title. But I think A lot of that was predicated on Phil Jackson's return. And I think that his focus should have been on Phil Jackson about how, you know, he was brought this information. So Phil Jackson knew this information and still ended up leaving the Chicago Bulls. And for him, he probably felt like he was betrayed.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too, because. Phil knew. I mean, he asked Phil to stay. But what I also learned later, I think from Jackie McMillan, because I don't, I get everything mixed up because all I did was watch more information about this afterwards. Jordan was approached as well by Reinsdorf directly. And so he he approached Jordan to come back and he approached Phil to come back. And apparently, Phil didn't want to do it because the Jerry Reinsdorf, I mean, because of the Krause situation. And he was probably tired to think about it. Dealing with all of that, even from a coach, I mean, that had to have been a stressful as hell season. Like, you don't want to deal with Dennis Rodman again. Deal with Scotty again. I think that Phil felt that they were lucky to kind of get out of that season. I,
2: I agree with what you're saying. Things happen for a reason. Things happen. You can't just say, if this, then that. You, you can't go back and fix things like that. I, I I'm a total proponent of that idea. It's still interesting to think, though, it makes you think of things you don't normally think about. If they had come back that one more year and say they had made it through the East, they would have played a rookie Tim Duncan Spurs team in the Western Conference Finals. And now we're talking about a whole new NBA.
0: Well, yeah, because there's a there's a big thing that we all forgot until after they were talking about it. The next season was a strike season. So that was a yeah, 50 yeah, game, like that was a 50 game, game season. And yeah, and and they're all old, but they would have been rested, they would have been healed if they bring Scotty back or not. I don't know because I don't know. I don't think Scotty would have signed. I don't care what what Jordan said. I don't I don't I, I think he be, he believed people. that he could have brought them back, but I don't think that it would have happened because there's just it's a different league. It, it already became a different league. There's just too much money out there and all those guys that left to go play other places, they didn't really do anything. Some of them were role players that did their role, but how about Jordan and the poem? Do you think that poem and that oh. in that ceremony maybe helped the players, the teammates, understand why Jordan was the way he was? Because I'm not sure what was in that poem, but I bet it was like almost like an apology to his teammates and, and thanking them for everything they'd gone through. And I think when you have hard feelings towards somebody, even though you just won a ring, in my opinion, sometimes that's all it takes. It's like, all right, I get it now. I understand. I understand the tough love. You're good to me. You're good, you're good in my book. Like, I'm wondering if that poem was never written and burned in a ceremonial way, what the players maybe, I don't know if it changes anything, what the players think, but maybe that moment changed a lot for his teammates. I mean, what, what were your guys' thoughts about that? And do you think it was kind of a cool thing? I mean, you never hear no shit like that. They fucking turn off the lights and burnt that shit in the trash like some hobos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a cool story. And I think when you think about a poem or a song, Um, you have to have some type of inspiration behind it and Phil didn't ask anybody to really write a poem he just asked them to put a few words on paper and say what you feel about the team and and then for Michael to put it in poem form I mean he had to have had a lot of inspiration you know from his teammates and what they went through in order to do that so um, I think it's it's a real cool story and you know the way that they capped off you know that's repeat that's that's some pretty Zen master shit right there. So yeah, cool story.
2: I I like how, how Phil Jackson did that. Like it's one of those things where we didn't hear what the poem was that Michael Jordan wrote. We weren't, we're not supposed to hear it. It's not for us. It was for the teammates. And like Michael Jordan said, he goes, I'm not a poet. He's like, "I, I, you know, I just wrote what my feelings were. And you know what? He showed up during crunch time when it came time to that too. And it, it had more of an impact than anybody any, anybody else wrote on the team. These NBA players, man, how good how good because they have wrote what what kind of stuff could have been that good, you know. But he comes and he he does that, and it's enough. It's it's enough for them to put it all together and then to light it on fire, and then they have that moment to where they can just put it to bed. It's finality, so that we can all move on with our lives because it's all about moving forward. What's done is done. It's too totally zen Phil Jackson. I agree.
3: I think that was a, a a nice way to end it. Um you could tell Phil's impact on Michael. Um, I think I don't know if that would come from him originally, but dealing with Phil all these years, I think that that helped him with that poem. Be nice to know what it said, but like you said, it's not for us. But um, it's definitely a, a nice closure to the whole chapter.
0: Corey, you have anything?
4: It just definitely just sees that um, there was some method to the, to all the madness and didn't see that culminating that, you know, this is why I you know, did what I did. You know, and I just feel like his you, you definitely can see that relationship was a little bit more deeper than just a coach and a player.
0: To hear Michael when they asked him, about retiring and you could tell he hated he he said I hated it I didn't want to stop I didn't want to stop I thought it was interesting and it's almost like you never know what you got till it's gone because I think it brought him full circle with his retirement in 1993 where he didn't really he felt like he had nothing else to prove and so he quit the game and now he wanted to keep running it back like a pickup game of basketball and now he can't do it now he really wants to stay but the world has changed around him and unless he wants to start over and rebuild different coach, different teammates, it just wasn't going to happen. You could see he was ready. He wanted to lace some up. And if he can go in the time machine and go back and do it, he'd do everything he could to try to play that next season. I mean, Brian, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. And I think that we're kind of in that age range too now where you start to see that you have less days in front of you than you have behind you. And so maybe it was just a lot of introspective, you know, just thought going into man, I, I got drafted in 84, and here we are, you know, in 98, and who who knows how much longer I've got left. So you see the change that, that came within him between the two three-peats where, you know, and he even said it during, during the uh, interview yesterday, is that you have this young, energetic guy who is just all physical during the first three-peat, but then you have more of the mental, you know, mentally strong Michael Jordan during the second three-peat. And so that comes with maturity and experience. And I think at that point in time, he was starting to see that, okay, we're getting towards the end here. Um, and maybe he was just trying to hold on to whatever he had left.
0: Ben,
2: I might be getting a little off track here, but it, it reminds me of what the, the motivation factor Michael had is that the slightest little bit of anything he could use for motivation, like, I ordered sausage for my breakfast, and you got bacon. It, it's a sausage day, and that's what I needed to win that game seven today. You know, you know what I mean. He he just had that in him where he does anything. Carmelo won the MVP. How dare Carmelo win the MVP? How how dare anybody compare Clyde Drexler to me in the finals? And what he said about Gary Payton and how dismissive <laughs> how dismissive he was of Gary Payton. It's just the whole competitive edge thing, man. I love it all.
0: Um, did you guys like the way it ended? You know, what would you have liked to have seen more, Corey?
4: I definitely mean that's five weeks is really short, and I just wish that it was a little bit. I think some of the stories that was in there could have went a little bit longer, could have been more depth. But it, it, I, I, I can't, I'm satisfied with what we got. I was happy
1: with it overall. The thing about it is, is that what made me happy is that I, I got to see Michael Jordan in a more human light. Um, And I wanna tie Kobe Bryant into this. I've never been a Kobe Bryant fan until the end of his career, because as I had said before, he was the last of a dying breed because he was what I grew up watching in the 90s. He was that and he crossed over into the 2000s. Um, I became more of a Kobe Bryant fan closer to his death because he was human. You saw him at the arena, you saw him with his wife and his kids, And he let people have access to him, you know, more so than when he was a player. But you saw the human side of him because of the family. And that takes me to what I wished I would have seen more. We only got like two or three minutes of Jordan's children getting an interview. Um, And I'm sure that they had, you know, long pockets of interviews, you know, on the tape. But they decided not to use a whole lot of it. And who knows for what reason. But it would have been great just to get a little bit more perspective from his kids because I think there's nothing more that humanizes a person more than their family and especially their children. So,
0: well, remember this was the first time they were watching this as mm-hmm. well. So they were seeing a father that they they were like, "Wow!" But it would have been nice to see that contrast while we're at home. But I think we lose track of while wow, this was Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, this wasn't Michael Jordan the person right. outside of the game of basketball. That's true. That's true. Ben. The more the more human side of Jordan, like you want to
2: know more, but yeah, you remember Jordan has the last say on all this stuff too, and you know they don't they don't talk about either of his wives, even his new one, and he's got I think he's got new kids with, with his new mm-hmm. wife too, and his sons. You know I don't know that I know that he had a daughter. There's Jasmine yeah. Jordan. Like I don't know if <laughs> I ever knew that, but I didn't really have a problem with him not talking about that too much because the only thing you really need to hear about Michael. You didn't hear much about his brothers either. There's brothers in there a little bit, but it was about Michael and his dad and then Michael and the team and everything else is just details. You know, it, it's just fuzzy details because that's what Michael's about. He's like, I'm I'm a player for the Chicago Bulls. are trying to win a title and this is my father. And that was his life.
0: Yeah. And none of those interviews were done at his house. They were all done at other people's houses, which which I found out. I think the, one of the interviews that I saw by one of the directors he's always been kind of private unless you watch Michael Jordan's, I think playground or whatever, where he actually has his kids in it. You know, I just, that's just, I guess that's just always who he is, but that's a common thing you hear. Um, Jay, what do you think, JR?
3: I I mean, I overall, I liked it. There was a lot of stuff that I didn't know and I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's, and I might be speaking for a lot of the diehards, you know, some of that footage already, the story, I, you know, it's geared for people who have just watching it for the first time. Um, I think they should have had more on the some of the other players. They had their their favorites. Obviously, it's going to be Michael Scotty Dennis. But I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of, like, Jason Caffey, what's behind him, or Randy Brown. I could have done without the B.J. Charlotte Hornet game. I think they could have touched that. The LeBradford Smith stuff was a little too lengthy for me. They cut those down a little bit and put in more of that. What I mentioned earlier, Pippen led um, season where he led in all categories and the Hugh Hollins. That was huge, huge um, part of bulls history where we got screwed. And I had mentioned to you, Jay earlier, I was at game six at old Chicago stadium. And that would have been the clincher. The, the bulls could have went to the finals. And that phantom foul call on Hubert Davis was just...
0: Wasn't that the semifinals? That wasn't the Eastern Conference finals, finals, right?
3: Yeah, there was the semifinals. But they had a good chance, a solid chance to get to the the NBA finals, I think. I think that's a big part of Bulls history that I felt it needed to be in there.
0: Yeah, I I thought the same. There were some things that I wish we would have seen more of. Um, To your point, they could have showed the phantom call. Which, if you go back and you watch it, even today, it's a 50-50 call, to be honest with you. And even though the NBA came out and, and, and admitted that it was a bad call, it's a 50-50 call when someone's shooting a three-pointer and you run into them. You know, even though the ball is long gone, half the time they call it, to be fair, um, I would have, like you were saying, I would have liked to have seen more of the team. Like, I don't need to see Jason Cappy's backstory, um, but <laughs> he was actually pretty good, man. Um Hey man,
2: Hubert Davis is North Carolina. Jordan ain't going to call him out.
0: But for the, (laughs) um, for the starters, I would have liked to have seen, you know, even if they spend four and a half, five minutes on Luke Longley, if they spend, you know, 10 minutes on, on Ron Harper, because he had a very interesting career, you know, he was jump out of the gym athletic and he had the injury and then, you know, fighting his way back because they were all part of the starting five because this was, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, the last dance. If it's going to be about that team, the last dance team, they should have spent a little bit more time on the players. And even when you saw the final credits, it was like four Jordan highlights, a different player. Four Jordan highlights, another player. (laughs) Um, One of the things we only have a minute and a half left. Um, I want to close on this. It's a a good discussion, but we can't discuss. So you're just going to have to listen to me because it's my podcast. Um, (laughs) Overall, the narrative I think was. This is my team. Scotty was, because you always hear them say, well, Jordan, everybody needs a Scotty. Jordan wouldn't have won it without Scotty. Scotty can't win without Jordan. I think he wanted to show Scotty was good, but I think he showed more of his faults. so that at the end of the day, you could still see that Scotty was good, but I am the man. And I think that all of his opponents throughout the finals, whether it was Charles Barkley or Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, his tough matchups in the Eastern Conference, I think he wants today's players to see don't don't sleep on these guys these guys are really good too these guys are legends you know don't think you guys have it at all because these guys were, were something special so i want to thank all you guys for joining the podcast this is it 505 five. that's a wrap thanks for having me nice you. at least later guys It's too bad it's all over. want to thank Brian for coming through all five episodes. Excellent having them. want to thank Ben Dixon for coming back. Thank you, JR, for joining the show at the last minute. And, of course, Corey Harrison, host of the Outer Balance Sports Podcast. You can subscribe to him pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Speaking of subscriptions, remember, if you like what you heard, if you didn't like what you heard, I don't care, subscribe to the podcast anyway, leave a review, reach the show at heartparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks. To our sponsors, thank you for Talk Mobile, Last Era Brand, DressUpBolts.com, NSX Channel, and higher quality detail. You can support this show. There's a link in the episode description for as low as 99 cents a month, and if you're really balling, $10 a month. What I can do with that is I can improve my home studio. I can improve the equipment. I can bring better products to you. Again, check out our page on Teespring.com if you want to buy T-shirts, mugs, or reach out to me personally. N-A-2-N-S-X on Instagram J-H-A-E underscore travels on Instagram Coming up on the next podcast It's just back to my normal Awesome podcast talking about Cars a little bit, talking about life a lot Got a bunch of guests booked Some celebrity guests Some non-celebrity guests To me that doesn't matter, they're guests They're good people, they're coming on the show Let's do this, let's grow this thing together
4: Shut up!